This episode of Pilot House was brought to you by Sarah's Upstairs Neighbors. Sarah's Upstairs Neighbors, when you absolutely must stomp everywhere, all the time. Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Duesberg. Welcome to the Pilot House. A podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. And try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. Welcome to a slightly unusual, slightly off theme, well, not off theme, off off brand version of Pilot House. <laughs> uh, after our last episode where we went way off brand, we're going to do that again, apparently. Off, off brand pilot, pilot House, like Pirate House. <laughs> oh, oh, double... Double entendre. I like it. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I'm sorry. Uh, the usual premise here is that we watch a TV show that neither of us has ever seen before. We watch the pilot episode and then discuss it. Uh, but before we watch it, we have a little chat like we're having right now about what we already know about the show. What are we've heard, what we think we understand, which is sometimes correct and sometimes super incorrect. This time... We are actually going to watch a show which I have already seen the pilot of. And the reason that we're doing this is last night I was in the mood for a little something new on Netflix and I watched the pilot and immediately went, oh God, this is a perfect kind of show for me and Strangely to talk about. This would be a delightful episode of Pilot House. Maybe we need to break the rules a little. So I called up Strangely and he said, yes, please do not watch the second episode yet. Let's do this. So... Uh, we unfortunately had not recorded the What We Know, so that's what we're going to do right now. Um, what I knew about the show, luckily I didn't know pretty much anything. I had never heard of it outside of seeing it recommended on Netflix. Uh, and the name of the show is Winona Earp. <laughs> uh, so, since I've already seen it, I'm not really eligible to answer What Do We Know. Uh, so I'm going to ask Strangely, what do you know? This is going to be a little tricky because if I say something and you react to it too much... Uh, it, we might get a little confused, but here is what I know. Wyatt Earp was a gunslinger who was at the OK Corral, most famously, in my personal humble opinion, played by Kurt Russell in uh, the movie Tombstone. Sure. Which is great. So Famous. I am Huckleberries and everything. Exactly. <laughs> Huckleberries. Huckleberries. <laughs> That's all I know about that movie. <laughs> Val Kilmer? Kurt Russell? Somebody is, somebody's Huckleberry? Yeah, John T. Huckleberries. <laughs> <laughs> So so anyway, that all being said, I'm assuming that this Winona Earp character is Wyatt Earp's daughter or descendant of some kind. And I think the show has kind of a supernatural sort of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer type bent where she's fighting vampires or werewolves or something. Maybe zombies. I don't know. That's about all I know. Uh, when I first saw the thing, I was like, Winona Ryder as a gunslinger. And then I saw that it was, <laughs> the second word was Erp. And I was a little bummed. Because, you know, she's got the whole Netflix Stranger Things thing going on. But, uh, yeah. I'd watch that show. Hey, Netflix. Exactly. Descendant relation of Wyatt Earp fighting monsters, I think, is what I'm about to watch. Sarah already knows. Uh, but is doing a good job holding a poker face. Yeah. I, I can't say, like... Y yes or no. I unfortunately <laughs> can't participate in this portion. But uh, yeah, that's what Strangely knows. All right. And uh, now we're going to go watch it and then have a little chat about it. Sounds good, y'all. <laughs> Let's do it. 
have now watched Winona Earp. And this is my one sentence synopsis. When tough, smart-mouthed Winona Earp is drawn back to the small town she left behind, she never expected to learn that the family legend she grew up with is true. All the men her great-great-grandfather Wyatt Earp killed are back as demons, and only she can send them back to hell. What do you think? That was, that was actually remarkably good. Yeah, I that one ended up sounding a little more like something from TV Guide than my previous ones, but also there was a lot in this show to synopsize. Yeah. My first attempt at a one-sentence synopsis was three sentences, and I had to cram it. Yeah. <laughs> cram it down. Well, especially after uh, watching The Killing to see something that was like this, this world rich, mm-hmm. uh, which brings me to my hot take, which is... I had a lot of fun with this. I want to know more about this mythology. Yeah. The mythology was great. Yeah, my hot take is kind of spoiled by the fact that we decided to do this even though I'd already seen the pilot. Because I saw the pilot and went, oh, this is perfect. Yeah. This is uh, almost on par with Lost Girl in terms of this is the kind of fun garbage that is made for me. All right, so let us discuss what we were wrong about. Now, obviously, in the what we know, I had already seen the show. Your your impressions were vague, but I don't think you had anything that was wrong. Right? I Yeah, I thought that this was a, a period show based on, like, my, oh, like, I thought she was his daughter. I, I didn't realize she was, like, a descendant. Uh, you specifically said descendant. Yeah, but I also said a daughter or granddaughter, and she's his Great, 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 great granddaughter. Okay. So I kind of you thought, thought it was set in the past, in like steampunk times or something like that. <laughs> you remember the steampunk period of history? Yes, you That's, know. Yeah. When, when Victorian. Uh, actually, the Wild were West and and Victorian, it's it's comparable. Yeah. Times so. And they were also like remarkably short. Periods, periods that are. Yeah. Because like the wild West, the wild west actually only lasted for like nine years or yeah. something like that. It's a, it's always amazing how A short it was and B how actually close it was. Because I after watching the show, I looked up the White Earp's uh, Wikipedia page because I was yeah. looking for one particular fact about him. Uh-huh. And he lived for so long that he consulted on Wild West movies yeah. and Western films in the early days of Hollywood. Like I Which think he died amazing. in the late twenties or something. And yeah. it's just like Trying to imagine, they're like, he and his wife living in their rented bungalow in Los Angeles. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Wyatt Earp living in a rented bungalow in Los Angeles and a hanging out with John Ford? These d- do not compete. Right? Anyway, it's, it's one of those weird things where you think of two people as being from different periods of history, but they overlapped. Anyway. Yeah. It's fascinating. I think that is probably one of the reasons that that Wyatt, the legend of Wyatt Earp is still such a thing to today is because... Yeah. Dude literally got to help make movies about himself. Yeah. Like, which is... And failed to ever release an accurate uh, biography or autobiography. <laughs> there was a lot in the Wikipedia page, which is very poorly written. <laughs> it's just clearly many hands have tinkered with one paragraph here without noticing right. that that information had already been established in right. another one, you know. But it's... Anyway... Uh, apparently there were many attempts to set the record straight about him, and those attempts only made it worse. I feel like that should be Wikipedia's tagline. Many hands have tinkered. (laughs) Let's get into the scene scene by scene recap. We open the show, which is set in the present day. It's established. It's a period show of the present day period? Yeah. That's that one period... Strangely, it seems to think period show means a show that is set during a period, which has no meaning. Stop. So the show opens. 
with our hero, Winona, riding an overnight bus home for her uncle's funeral. The bus has engine trouble, and Kirsten, a chatty young woman who's been talking to Winona, and I think kind of flirting with him, but maybe this is me, leaves the bus to heed the call of nature. But strange noises in the dark freak everyone out, and the bus driver tries to drive away. Winona is literally the only person on this bus who seems to have a problem with leaving an innocent passenger who only left the bus a minute ago behind. So she gets off the bus to find her, and the bus drives away anyway. Because scary noises in the dark are worth stranding two people. Yeah, the bus drives away on a on a flat tire or it's unclear. Trouble? Yeah, it's unclear what happened. The, there's noises and the bus kind of moves weird, and the driver goes, "Oh shit," or whatever. Yeah, it's unclear what happened that made him stop, but also enables him to continue driving all right. the way to the town they're going to. It's weird because like there are just noises, and everyone and somebody goes, like Winona goes, "I've heard this noise before," and someone goes, "Wolves." If you actually thought they were wolves, y'all are inside a bus. You're safe. This made me think, oh, we're, we're establishing that this is a universe where everybody knows that that supernatural shit is real. Which, why Which is has not the case. nobody made that show yet? Ugh. It's, it's, it, 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 it was, that was bad. But anyway, yeah. in the dark, Winona is then confronted by the grisly sight of Kirsten's head on a pike, scuttling my dreams that they would be a gay crime-fighting crime team. <laughs> uh, she is soon attacked by a shadowy man with glowing eyes. She's knocked over on the ground, and then her phone starts playing like a MIDI of happy birthday, because let's pretend phones do that at midnight on your birthday. Don't believe that's a thing a phone has ever done, but it's supposed to let us know that it's her birthday literally just happened. Suddenly, she leaps up and slashes at her attacker with her knife, then shoves a stick just right through his eye, like all the way through his head. She has a moment where she's like, oh, head rush which is supposed to indicate to us that she's not sure why she suddenly had this rush of energy and, and uh, whatever is going on here. So he then runs away, and she sets off on the road toward Purgatory, which is only slightly more ridiculous than Tombstone as a town name, so I guess we'll let it slide. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Tombstone was, was real, so I guess we'll let it go. There, I mean, there was a town of dead wood. I'm, I'm really convinced that half of the reason that this whole legend of the OK Corral and Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and all that gained so much traction as a legend is because it literally happened in a town called Tombstone. And that was too good for people not to keep retelling. Did you hear about these uh, gunslingers in a town called Tombstone? I know, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, we cut to the credit sequence, which is blessedly short. And it's just some, you know... It's just like a title card. Graphic-y, yeah. yeah it, it's, some, it's a few graphic-y, action-y shots... Uh, very modern of characters yeah. doing action-y things while the names of the main actors flash by. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to say, the music in this show, as long as you brought it up, yeah. is really spot on. Unlike the needle drops in Rain, which felt very like someone here was trying to sell a soundtrack, all of the music in this show does kind of sound like it was from a library of royalty-free, this one sounds like a this genre. Maybe there were actual songs and I yeah. was just reading into that. But it really nailed it. It's the specific brand of like country rock that just conjures up images of leather-clad bikers in smoky bars riding up on really noisy motorcycles yeah. and like partying and being like, woo! It's perfectly that particular brand of country rock. Perfect for this show. 
It so is. Sort of in the same way that, like, the early seasons of Supernatural, like, them bumping, like, ACDC while they were driving in their uh, car. That idea of, like, you just kind of, you immediately evoke a place through good choice of music. Yeah. A type of person in a type of place. Yeah. I, I wanted to, to, to comment on the whoa head rush thing because my read on that scene was that she, like, because didn't she say something else where she's like, where are you? Where Like, she kind of, like, when she was fighting the monster in the woods in that first scene, I felt like it was kind of like she knew mm-hmm. it was monster and she was fighting monster. Like, I absolutely read it that way the first time I watched it, too. Yeah. yeah. The, both her comment, I've heard this noise before. It didn't come off like, wait a minute, this a distant memory from my childhood just came to me. It sounded like she was going, wait a minute, I know that noise. It's a demon. I know what I'm about. I'm fucking Buffy. Like, that's how I read it. And then when she goes out in the dark, it comes off like, yeah, she's going out in the dark because she knows there's scary shit and she knows how to deal with it. Uh And her little moment, ooh, head rush, just read as a funny line. However, having watched the whole episode, I realize now what they were trying to establish here is that this is a normal world where nobody knows about demons and she doesn't know her birthday. This, There's I guess, a significance well, yeah, to her There's a significance to the fact that she it is her birthday and she just literally turned right. 27 in this moment. And then the head rush was supposed to be like, a, oh, something just came over me. I must have been a head rush from standing up too quickly. Yeah, I, I'm kind of glad to hear that you also read it wrong because... They had a lot to establish in this show. They had a lot of world building to do and a lot of plot stuff. And they didn't always nail establishing it. But they did always try to do it through subtle things rather than through expo dumps. And I appreciate that they tried. They didn't always nail it. But they tried. I mean, this this is a really great example of a pilot where you learn what you need to learn for the scene and you learn about the characters through action as opposed to them saying like, well, I've always been one to run towards trouble. Yeah, there honestly wasn't a lot of of, of expo log yeah. in this. And I, I appreciate that they tried really hard to show instead of tell, even though they did not always nail it as evidenced yeah. by our, both of us misreading that first scene. After the opening credits, we cut to, it's, it's like the next morning, Winona has reached town. She's talking to the police, she reports Kristen's death, and then... They, they ask for her name, and she just hangs up. Haven't you ever seen a police procedural? Here's the weird thing, okay? Right. Not only does she, when they go, and your name, and she goes, name, <laughs> hangs up. She then immediately, and with business-like precision, opens her phone and takes out the SIM card and snaps it in half? Right. Oh, they can't f- find? No, that's not what SIM cards are for. Yeah. It's very unclear. If she had just gone, my name, uh, no, and then tossed the phone in the trash, you'd think, ah, it was like a burner phone. Right. And she doesn't want them to be able to, you know. See, that's why I'm confused, because, like, the phone knows enough about her to know it's her birthday. Yeah. So that must be tied to her. That whole thing was confusing to me. Oh, yeah. And they step, and in case the the little midi of happy birthday wasn't clear, after the demon man scuttles away, she looks at her phone, and there's a text from yeah. her sister saying, happy birthday, XOXO. And it's, yeah, she's, it's obviously not a burner phone. Her fo- sister's number is programmed in. Her sister knows the number enough to text her happy birthday. Yeah. It knows it's her birthday and sang her a little song, which phones have never done to my knowledge. Clearly Winona went to the Kenzie and Bo school of <laughs> using technology. For, and, and how it relates to crimes. Uh, cloak and dagger technology. Anyway, because 
Wynona walked into town. She arrives late at her uncle Curtis's funeral, and like everybody's giving her hella side eye, and it's super awkward. Like this scene played so real for me because I've been in those awkward like arriving late at family function situations. Uh, she's especially getting a lot of shade from her aunt Gus, who was her late uncle's wife. Yeah. Uh, later at the wake, Winona talks to Gus and says that she came as soon as she heard, but she was in Greece when she found out. And then she starts asking about Gus's death and finds out that uh, the like local rodeo champ, whose name is Champ. Appropriately. Wonderful. Uh, is the one who found Uncle Gus. And then Winona, like, you, like she, she asks, was his body intact? Or like, was he intact? And Gus gets annoyed and it's just like, Winona, leave it alone. Like, yeah, he's stop. dead. He's Let it go. Yeah. yeah. I literally just buried my husband. Maybe don't ask me about the <laughs> state of his intact? body. Rude. Obviously not. He's dead. Yeah. Also, I just want to mention here that I really love the casting of Aunt Gus. Like, yes. She just, this actress, like, I, if you'd shown me a lineup of actresses and kind of just sketched this character and said, which one do you think? a Hollywood studio would cast. I never would have picked this actress. And I don't know what yeah. it is about her, but she's, because she doesn't read as immediately, like, small town farmer's wife or whatever character she's supposed to be, this character just looking a little different than she ex I would have expected the character to be just made her. Mm -hmm. And she's just delightful. It's a character who immediately appears layered because of the casting. When Winona walks up to the funeral, she's giving a eulogy. And just through this very brief eulogy, it says so much about her character, Curtis's character, the, uh, the uncle Curtis, the relationship that they had. There's a very brief and very sort of sardonic kind of tongue-in-cheek eulogy. It just, like, Winona says something at the wake to her about, I know this is country and all, but is it legal to just, like, bury your husband in your garden? And she says, the only thing Curtis loved more than me was his tomatoes. Who am I to separate soulmates? And kind of walks away. And just little lines like that really yeah. made... Gus, like, a very interesting character. Even though we don't get a lot of Gus, we don't get that much of her backstory yeah. or anything. And she's not involved in the plot that much, but I'm, I really liked her immediately. The next scene is very brief. The cops have found Kirsten's body. The cliche small-town sheriff says, well, she's probably a runaway or a prostitute. We also meet Deputy Marshal Dolls, a sharply-dressed young black man, obviously from the city, <laughs> who is also there investigating because there have been three dead girls in this area in the past six months. So he's the, the the big town crime guy. And the, the sheriff even goes, which department did you say you were from again? And he kind of avoids the avoids the question. Yeah. He had immediately had a, like, sort of a, like, I don't know, like, X-Files-y, like, kind of vibe right. going on. This is a guy who knows more than he's letting on. Yeah. And we had in this... something. And we had in this scene another line that I don't know what they intended this line to convey, but it gave me a, a misimpression about the show. Because in the first few minutes of a new show, everything anyone says or does, you're looking for clues about what is this show going to be? What is this universe? Especially right. when you, if you know there's a supernatural element, you're looking for clues about what kind of universe am I dealing with? Right. And the local sheriff says, well, welcome to Purgatory, home of cowboys and coyotes or something like that. And Dolls, who has been looking at the ground, says, and maybe the occasional Greek goddess. And he lifts up off the ground, 
like a keychain, like the kind like like on a like a chain that would go around yeah. your neck, and there's a key and some sort of keychain adornment thing that I guess looks Greek. We really don't get a good look at it. Yeah. Um, and apparently this was just a, I guess they just intended it to be kind of a, a sassy comment from dolls. Right. That indicates he recognizes this thing as being Greek. And somehow that leads him, it's going to lead him to Winona. But I honestly went, wait, are Greek, is he, is he X-Files guy? Is, does he know that like Greek goddesses because supernatural stuff or like could be real? Yeah. Was Kirsten in fact actually a greek goddess that's what i thought it was right. going to turn out to be i was i was reading i, I was misreading a lot of right. the lines uh, in the show which you know i'm willing to admit could have been partially my fault <laughs> so after the awkward wake winona goes to shorty's saloon a local hangout and ends up talking to the owner about the quote dead runaway when he finds out that she was there he asks if she talked to the police about it and she says that she doesn't trust them because she has a juvenile record. She's had some run-ins with the police exactly. since then, but nothing. Her nothing her bad. only actual record right. is, is is from being in juvie. Yeah. She says she's gonna find out the truth about Curtis's death. So she's like, I I need to find out about this. Yeah, she's gonna get to the bottom of this. A gross young local guy approaches and starts hassling her, and through the things that he's saying, we learn that Wyatt Earp was Winona's great-great-grandfather, mm -hmm. and the guy starts talking about the Earp curse. He's just kind of sassing her and being like, oh, didn't your great-great-grandfather marry a prostitute? And she goes, actress. And he goes, oh, excuse me. I bet she gave Dog Holiday the clap that killed him. And she's like, well, first of all, it was Duck Holiday, and second of all, he died of tuberculosis, you fucking dumbass. <laughs> And then he gets defensive and goes, this coming from the parrot tit, so crazy, so cursed. And the way he's, first of all, that's a weird thing to say because he never finishes a sentence and he isn't interrupted. He just drops the sentence in the middle. He also says, cursed, like this, cursed. I had to listen to it like five times before I understood that he said the word cursed. And then I remembered subtitles existed. And turned those on and went, yes, he did in fact say cursed. It's just, it's a weird delivery of a line considering that it is, like, load-bearing, plot-wise. The very pretty local rodeo hero, Champ, arrives. Weirdly pretty. Yeah. Like, in a kind of... where It goes uncanny valley, where someone's so pretty that you're like, is that a human? You're yeah. Like, it's actually unsettling. It's, it's like a character walked out of a CW show. It's like the CW would see him and go, mm, too far. Yeah. Too baby. <laughs> That's what it is. His, he's got like a baby face and it's like a little too baby. Winona tries to ask him about her uncle because he was the one who found her uncle, but he's got other things in mind. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. go to his apartment above the bar and like Winona's making out with him, but she soon tires of trying to ply him with her feminine wiles and pulls a knife on him instead. Because he's not giving her anything. Yeah. Every time she tries to bring up Curtis, he's like, speaking of bodies, yours is banging or whatever. Yeah. He tells her that the sheriff found Curtis on the Earp family land with his head torn off. Mm-hmm. Winona decides to try to recruit Curtis to help her before they can talk much more. His girlfriend bursts in with a shotgun and interrupts them. And his girlfriend turns out to be Winona's sister, Waverly. So we've got a real W thing going on here yeah. with the herbs. Yeah, weird, weird W names. Also, I just want to call out very confusing line here. You know, she says it's a it's a good moment at first, and then yeah. turns weird. Where Winona goes, 
all right, champ, you know, you're going to help me, you know, solve this. And nobody is coming to help you. And then the door bursts open and, she, and Waverly shouts, except his girlfriend. Pow! She actually shoots the shotgun, which is like, um, this is a rented apartment. Maybe don't shoot yeah. your boyfriend's belongings or the walls. But then she starts shouting about like, get off my boyfriend, you tramp or whatever. You know, Winona dives behind the bed, puts up her hands, and goes, ugh, worst birthday ever. Which, I, I don't think you'd shout that for the room to hear in that situation, but it makes Waverly go, wait, Winona? And she looks up and goes, Waverly? And in this tense moment with feathers from yeah. the pillow that got shot in the air, Winona tries to uh, say, oh, hey, sis. And then she goes, you grew out your hair. <laughs> now... What is the joke there? You grew out your hair. What was she going to say? Because it almost, her gesture and the way she's looking at Waverly and given the way Waverly looks, it seems like she was trying to say, your boobs are bigger than they were last time I saw you, but you grew out your boobs is not a thing a human being would say. So what, did Winona misdeliver the line and the, the writer wasn't on set so nobody noticed there was a problem with the syntax? I can't find a way to make that joke work. There's no sentence that you would say that would, in terms of syntax, apply to both your hair is longer than the last time I saw you and your boobs are bigger than the last time I saw you. There's no way you can just change the the noun at the end. You grew out your... Literally, hair is the only thing that could end that sentence. That line bothered me so much. Uh, Moving on. At a shotgun shack outside of town... We see a grizzled old biker with an eye patch who is none too pleased to learn that the scummy guy from the bar, Carl, was talking to Anona about the curse. He says stuff about how, you know, we can't have you running your mouth until we get what we need. He's very intimidatingly kind of advancing on Carl while another biker watches. And then his eyes begin to glow red. A sort of fiery symbol of some kind appears like on the side of his forehead. And his voice sort of gets like gravelly and demonic as he delivers a classic line about, if you can't hold your tongue, I will. And he literally rips Carl's tongue out of his mouth. Uh, And in this moment, I believe we are supposed to recognize him as the attacker from the woods. Mm -hmm. He's got the eye patch over the eye that she shoved a stick through. He's got the glowy eyes. They are the only two times we've seen him with glowy eyes. I covered my eyes during the tongue removal scene because I do not care for such uh, things. So I was actually very confused to see Carl still standing and not, he just had some blood on his mouth, but he yep. didn't, he was fine. And I was like, wait, did I miss some? I'm not going to rewind and find out, but what did I miss here? Nothing. We figure out later what, why he was able to be relatively blasé about losing his tongue. The uh, demonic eyepatch biker says, stick to the plan and we'll kill the girls later. We then cut to Waverly, who, even though she's happy to see Winona, she's giving her shit for not warning her that she was coming. Winona says the only reason she came is that Curtis sent her an email saying, they've caught up with me. Waverly gets excited and starts talking about the curse and then says, we need that gun. But Winona's protestations are interrupted because all of a sudden she whips out her knife, spins around and puts it to the throat of a man who was sneaking up behind her. It's the Marshal. Deputy Marshal Dolls. Deputy Marshal Dolls. It's a weird name. It reminded me of Dyson in Lost Girl. Right. Just like... Why would you give this main character, romantic character, a last name most people associate with a vacuum cleaner? Hey. He sucks. I'm sorry. He sucks. He sucks. <laughs> oh, that's too dumb a joke for them to have meant it. Anyway, moving on. Back uh, to Winona. Dolls 
addresses Winona by name. So, like, he knows who she is, he knows about her, uh-huh. and he wants to talk to her. So they go to Gus and Curtis's house, and the marshal asks her about Kirsten's death, reveals he knows about her record. She says, it's supposed to have been sealed. I was supposed to be sealed when I turned 18, and I'm 26. I mean, 27. And he goes, oh, by the way, happy birthday. So, again, we were reminded that she just turned 27. Yeah. Uh, she asks, what, yeah, that was supposed to have been sealed. What are you, FBI? Again, he avoids the, he initially avoids the question, like he did with the sheriff, but then he reveals soon after that he is from a special division of the U.S. Marshals that monitors activity, which is unexplainable. Sarah has just removed her glasses. <laughs> I wish the, I wish, can y'all hear that I whipped some, off my glasses before I said the word Some beautiful space work. Good yeah, job. thank you. He says our division doesn't see a lot of survivors, so that's why they're particularly interested in getting her help. I, I don't remember if he says the name of the division in the scene, but it, at some point it is they're called the Black Badges. Yeah. Which is so cool. I don't know why I think that's super cool. She says something about, she saw his badge. He showed yeah. his badge when he first said, we need to talk. And she goes, oh, what's up with the charcoal star? I've never seen yeah. that before. So she's being sort of whimsical about it. But yeah, yeah. he doesn't say Black Badge until later. But yeah. Um, it's just a really cool detail. I was, I was, exp- I kind of like that he just comes out about it. He says, look. You obviously know that some shit is weird, so I don't, you know, I feel comfortable telling you I'm not going to dodge the issue like I did with the small town sheriff. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to tell you, yeah, we monitor stuff that's fucking weird. Yeah. That's a thing that exists now you know. He brings up the ERP connection and says, so, by the way, ERP, as in Wyatt, are you a good shot or something? And she goes, I don't do guns. I couldn't hit a lawman at 20 paces or something. And it's like, he's like, lucky me or something like that. It's, yeah. it's a fun little exchange. And he leaves and Waverly tries to again bring up the significance of Winona's 27th birthday, but Winona brushes her off and takes Gus's truck, says, I'm going home or something like that. Home turns out to be a rundown house with old crime scene tape in the yard. And it's got, I just want to, it's got one of those things and I tried to describe it in the notes, and I realized I don't know a word for it, but it's in movies and TV shows. It's just like a wood arch sort yeah. of thing with the name like, of the person who lives there on it. Yeah, like you a know, ranch, a, an, yeah. a ranch entryway. Thing, yeah. It's like yeah. at ranches and, and things. And it's like, I realized I have no idea what to call that. A, a, an entryway, a gateway, a but it's a thing I've seen in many movies. It's often used to establish the last name of the person who lives in the place. Arc du Ranch. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Of course, that's what it's called. Arc Durand. That says Erp in this case. She has a flashback of her father telling her the legend of Wyatt Earp killing 77 outlaws. They then resurrect as revenants and come after his heirs. Mm-hmm. This was her father. Presumably. Uh, presumably. They don't really establish it, but we have to assume. But now it's like this curse has passed on to his eldest heir, Willa. Another unusual W name. Another W name. Her father's name was probably Wallace or William. The only thing that can kill the Revenants is Wyatt's gun. Wielded by his heir specifically. Yes. Yeah. So then Winona's memories like kind shift. of shift forward in time or to a different moment. Yeah. Where the Revenants are attacking the house and they take Willa. So it's sort of like Winona goes back to this memory while she's in the house. And then she comes back to the present. She comes out of the house and says, I'm going to go get that gun. Out loud, to who? She then 
kind of pokes fun and goes, and I'm talking to my truck. She's also like, she seems to be someone who just like says her thoughts out loud because she's like, yeah. worst birthday ever. Whoa, yeah. head brush. Yeah. But anyway, so she's like, and I'm talking to my truck. But obviously the line was said out loud so that Malcolm, who is hiding nearby, can hear her because he immediately gets out his phone and calls someone and says, she took the bait. I just really love like some sort of immortal demon biker just whipping out a flip phone. Yeah. <laughs> she took the bait. It was a, kind of a funny moment. Yeah. I, I honestly think they maybe meant it to be, really. I don't know. Maybe they thought it would be cool. Uh, but he still has a cell phone because, like, why wouldn't he? It'd be convenient. Which, which is, that is one of my, like, things that I'm not entirely sure about with the show is how tongue-in-cheek they're playing it with some yeah. of that stuff. The tone wasn't quite consistent enough for me to go, is this full-on, like, sass levels Buffy? Or is this, like, a, a more serious kind of, like, Sleepy Hollow kind of thing? I think there were times when they definitely meant it to be a little tongue-in-cheek. Or at least they were consciously subverting your expectations. Right. The biker de demon from the past does still have a cell phone. There's a scene later where he has a gun, and it's not like an old-timey-looking six-shooter. It's right. like a Glock. It's a modern-looking right. pistol. Winona arrives back at Gus's house with the truck that she borrowed, uh, and Gus argues with her. And this is the moment where I realized, oh, this show is shot in Canada. Because Gus walks up and says, were you going to tell me you borrowed my truck? I already saw you borrowed all my whiskey. And I went, oh, <laughs> wow, her delivery was not that Canadian before. She was uh, having a, she forgot during this scene that she wasn't supposed to be Canadian. Um, it was delightful. Uh, they have a fight. Winona says, you know, I'm doing all this to avenge Curtis's death. Gus calls her paranoid, says she's, you're probably off your meds. And basically says, you know, Waverly has worked really hard to get out from under your shadow and your family's history and now you come back and bring up all this nonsense about demons you're going to ruin your sister's life she then offers winona a birthday present which is an envelope containing enough money for she says a one-way ticket back to athens and at this point i go they keep bringing up the fact that she was in greece yeah why greece if it had just been a one-off comment oh i was in greece oh they just picked a place that was far away because they wanted to establish she came a long way to come back but they keep mentioning it, the comment about the Greek goddess. She goes, a one-way ticket back to Athens. And I'm like, why Greece? Because I don't think it's going to come up later. I cannot see a way in which Athens or Greece would somehow be significant to this story. But it's a weird thing. And the fact that they keep mentioning it forces you to imagine Winona, leather-clad, pale-skinned Winona Earp, lounging around in the Mediterranean. And I cannot see it. So, weird choice. Also, the scene ends with Gus, who has previously been kind of fun, saying, I love you, Winona, but you're as broken as they come. Ouch, that is Yikes. harsh. Maybe it's like, you know, the herbs have a connection back to, like, ancient Greek days. It's like Aristotle and Plato and Herpatius. <laughs> this is just too absurd yeah. for it to be a real thing. And yet, they keep mentioning it. Odd bit of writing. So we cut to Winona climbing out of an old well, and she has, like, this, like, cloth bound like bundle thing in her hand and it's like the classic like the bundle the hand in the bundle comes out yeah stuff. uh the marshal is waiting there for her just chilling while someone's down a well like you do he offers her a job on his team but she brushes him off and she says something about getting deputized is what got my father killed he leaves the bundle contains wyatt's old-timey pistol with a in my opinion comically long barrel winona then flashes back again to the revenants taking her sister and then they like 
grab her father. There's like in the confusion, she's trying to get the pistol to her father, and she accidentally shoots her own father mm-hmm. during the incident. She's either trying to get the gun to her father, or she's trying to shoot the revenants. Yeah, it's, it's unclear. It's it's all it's like all flashbacks. It's yeah. all vague. It's all like kind of out of focusy flashback. But like as kind of like a tragic character origin thing, I thought this was was really well played. That like why no? This is like. This is why Winona is like kind of like bent and has like a difficult time with dealing with all this supernatural shit. Not because she's super scared of the supernatural shit, but because the bad thing that happened was like accidentally killing her own father. Because they could have just had, you know, the monsters came, killed her dad, and now she's like a weird nomad. But like she killed her dad because of her fear of the monsters. Like that's yeah. that's a much more interesting layered like thing to have riding on a character. Yeah. And I mean we'll get it, it's established more later but having literal demons kill your sister. Yeah. And create a situation in which you accidentally shoot your father. That messes somebody up, especially yeah. then when you maybe try to explain that situation to other people in the world. Yeah. And they go, "Oh, you think demons are real and they made you kill your father. Well, let's put you in a padded room. Oh, I also want to point out during this particular scene. After she drags herself out of this well, she looks perfect because TV, right? Her hair and clothes are immaculate. Except for a very artful looking little dab, little smudge of dirt on her cheek. <laughs> like, I can't express in words how artful this little dab of, of mud is. It's not just like... Oh, no, we need to make her look must. One swipe of mud. They, it almost looks as if someone was trying to put some sort of symbol on her cheek. Like, it's that yeah. artful. I honestly think it would have been better if she just emerged from the well looking perfect. It was a weird, weird choice. So then outside of town, uh, Winona drives to the sign, the welcome to purgatory sign that we saw in the first scene when she was walking into town. Uh, she attempts some target practice with the gun. And is hilariously bad at shooting things with it. So she immediately realizes, I'm fucked here. I've I've accepted now that I needed to get this gun and I possibly need to use it against the demons or something. And I am no better at aiming now than I was when I was seven or something. Yeah. So I'm screwed. We then cut again to back at the well. Someone else is climbing up the rope which she had tied to, you know, a fence or something and run down the well. We are given a mirror shot to the scene where she emerged. And I thought for a second it was going to be her being like, well, never mind, that gun doesn't work. Like, yeah, she she left the gun. But she wouldn't have to climb down to, like, drop the gun. She would just throw it. But for a second, I thought we literally were about to go, the whole Wyatt Earp's gun was going to be a red herring, and she was going to defeat the the demons without it. That would have been so good. Instead... We just see the rope moving as if someone's climbing it and then two hands that look rather more masculine than hers grip the edge of the well and one of the hands has a large silver ring with some sort of stone set in it. That is all we get from that particular little glimpse. Her target practice didn't go well, so Winona goes looking for Waverly at Waverly's apartment above the bar. Waverly's not there, but Winona like looks behind a curtain and finds Waverly's wall of crazy. It's this huge like string and thumbtack and collection of notes Earth family and history and yeah. all the stuff like about the curse and all this stuff. Uh, Waverly shows up and tells Winona that this is her research to try to break the Earp family curse, which 
I love that movies and TV shows are still doing this. Like, anybody who's, like, intensely researching a thing nowadays, I feel like it's, has, it's in your computer. It's a, it's a, like, a, it's a spreadsheet or something. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> people still build a wall of crazy. I thought it actually said a lot about Waverly. I thought it was really cute. Because she's like, I've been researching through libraries all over the country, and I've been finding all sorts of information about our family and about the legacy and blah, blah, blah. Like, it was kind of adorable that she's like, I haven't just been yeah. trying to hide from right. the family history this whole time. I've been researching it. And she goes, and you know what's the one thing I couldn't find in any library? Any reason why I can't be the one to break the curse? And I'm like, why do you think that a piece of information would be in a library, Waverly? <laughs> she is surprised and excited to see that Winona has the gun. You knew where it was this whole time. Like, she yeah. thought the gun was lost. Yeah. But Winona just wants to sell the gun for money so that they can get out of town. But Waverly doesn't want to leave because this is home. And if Winona won't help to protect the town or whatever, then she will. Winona says she's leaving town in the morning with or without Waverly. Uh, then Waverly calls her a coward. And Winona storms out. It's harsh. It's harsh, Waverly. Super harsh. There's a weird line in that scene where she's like, Oh my god, you found the gun! It's beautiful! And Winona says... What it is, is very valuable. Selling it could earn us enough money to buy a chrome condo 5,000 miles from here. And I'm like, excuse me, is a chrome condo a thing? Like, I'm sure she's just trying to say, it's so valuable that we could not only get far away from here, we could buy ourselves a nice life. Not a thing people say, Not Winona. a thing people say. So then we're, uh, she's in the bar. Winona is at the bar, drinking her troubles away uh, from a bottle that is shaped very much like Jack Daniels. And she is approached by a man who asks her about Wyatt's gun, which is just sitting out on the bar for anybody to see. It's very notably just sitting there on the bar. It's kind of odd. But I guess everybody knows her and knows who she is, so maybe they don't think it's weird. She takes him for sort of a Wild West nerd. You know, oh, big fan of Wyatt Earp, came to see the place he drank. Uh, because both his speech and dress are quite antiquated, he recognizes the gun as Wyatt Earp's peacemaker. They have this sort of vaguely flirtatious conversation where he reveals he knows probably too much about Wyatt Earp, even maybe more than a Wild West aficionado would know. Right. And he leaves a slightly confused Winona at the bar alone. Does the scene show that this guy has the same ring? I don't think it, they do like a close-up shot of his hand or anything, right. but it is established that this is the guy. This we do see guy. his ring at some point. Right. I, in many of my notes, I just referred to him as like the mystery man or whatever, but you requested before we started recording that we just call out right now who right. he is. This is Doc Holliday. Yeah. Somehow. Somehow this is a resurrected or immortal Doc Holliday. We are given very little in the pilot to explain why he is there. In I... fact, they do not even say who he is. We are just... I... I think I think we would have come to that conclusion just watching the pilot. But if and if but the reason that we know it is is because the one sentence synopsis of the show on Netflix is paraphrased: the great great granddaughter of Wyatt Earp teams up with an immortal Doc Holliday to fight demons. Right. So they don't establish in the pilot that he actually is. And by the end of this episode, spoiler alert: they are not a team. <laughs> so it's weird for the one sentence synopsis of the show to establish two facts that are not made clear right. in the pilot. It's just odd that if that's so fundamental to the premise of the show, right. usually they would have established it. I'm fine with them not because yeah. obviously 
the two of it's going to be much more interesting for the two of them to somehow like have to come to some sort of agreement in the future than for him to just show up and be like, hi, so long story short, I'm Doc Holliday. Hi, nice to meet I'm you. I'm immortal. I'm here to help you fight demons. Let's go. Yeah. So. Which is, again, another one of the things that I really liked about this show is that in the moment, because his character would not say to her, hi, I am Doc Holliday. Yeah. It's not, we don't get that information directly. Yeah, in fact, he is, it's sort of unclear what he knows. He seems surprised to find out she is, in fact... An herb. An herb. Right. She says something. He recognizes the gun and kind of tries to, like, take it from her. Yeah. And then she says something about, she kind of tries to threaten him by saying, what I'm saying is crazy runs in the family. And he goes, pardon me. I did not realize I was speaking to an herb. And she goes, a bona fide. Anyway, they have this funny kind of, it's 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 just a little flirtatious. Yeah. Which makes me think that's going to be part of their relationship going forward. Like, he says, I would have taken you for a prostitute. And she goes, mm, prostitutes get paid for it. Oh. <laughs> Which, I, I don't know, I actually kind of enjoyed. That thing, though, about not giving us information that we don't need. Like, this episode, like, Winona has a, a, a character arc. Like, the, the story of the episode is about her character arc. And so we're not given a lot of, like, unnecessary information about... Doc Holiday, be like who he we, is, we what don't he's doing get there, a lot of anything. Yeah, we don't learn a lot about the mechanics yeah. of how this universe works because it is more about the character. Yeah. Which yeah, I'm honestly I'm I'm okay with it did leave me with a lot of questions and I feel like there were possibly some plot holes that maybe they'll explain later. Yeah. About how the mechanics of this universe work, which we'll get into a little more later, but but I just, I like that, that it was very story focused and mm -hmm. we learned about the characters through what they did. Yeah. As opposed to them saying things about their histories or yeah. like these long monologues. Winona goes to Gus's farm to say goodbye, but finds Gus like on the porch. She's been injured. She's like all bloody. And yeah, she's, she's been, been beaten beat pretty bad. Like, yeah. Gus manages to say like, they took Waverly. They said tomorrow, high noon. And then she passes out. And Winona looks over, and on the wall, uh, the words, bring the gun, have been written probably in blood. They establish in another scene that she was in intensive care, and then in a later scene that she was coming home from the hospital. So Gus will continue to be a character. I was a little worried when she kind of goes, he said, tomorrow, you'll fix this. And then passes yeah. out. Which, it was interesting character stuff for her, that she was like... You're 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 broken as they come, and you're gonna ruin your sister's life. She goes from that to you'll fix this. Yeah. Once faced with possibly the reality of what's going on, she then believes in Winona's abilities. Winona goes and finds Marshall Dolls. Mm -hmm. He's not been answering his phone that was on the card that he gave her. Yeah. And she's <laughs> like, "Aren't you supposed to be following me?" Which is <laughs> yeah delightful. He's like looking some paperwork he's got little like reading glasses yep. on he's like yep. checking some paperwork and she's like hello i called you like 50 times he's like yeah. yeah sorry about that she asks him to help her get her sister back and he tells her that he's aware of the situation like he's he's he knows that her sister's been taken or something or whatever like he's aware that some shit's going down and then he says demons he, he calls the the he, he drops the d word yeah and winona's surprised that someone actually believes her after she was sent to a mental institution for saying that this was a thing. She has a nice moment where, when he when she goes, I have to figure out who took my sister. And he goes, you know who did, demons. He, he drops it like, yeah. he's talking about the weather. And she has this moment, and the, I want to call out the sound design for this episode in this moment, because the music, there's been some kind of music in the background, and when he says demons, it kind of like, 
there's sort of a pulse of sound. Yeah. While she sort of reels backwards slightly. Yeah. And it's like, hold, hold the. She's she has a moment where she's like, yeah. you you said it. You said it out loud. You believe it. I was sent away. I. Yeah. She has a moment where she kind of. They don't. They don't. You know, it's a TV show, and we're we're running out of time, so she doesn't get a lot, a big moment, but she gets a brief moment of, okay, this shit is real now, and even this guy that I don't know who's who doesn't act crazy admits it's real, so it's on. Dolls talks about demons some more, about how they yeah. can pass for humans, etc., but it's all pretty ho hum for him. Yeah, he's got a deadpan he, about it. He doesn't really seem interested in helping find Waverly, and says like she's already dead. Because he had previously mentioned talk like his division doesn't see a lot of survivors, so he's like, whatever. Winona tries to punch him, but he dodges. Like it's like a fun. They have like a little sparring thing. Yeah. And she leaves. I loved, loved, loved that it was ho hum for him. Yeah. That he's like, like, yeah, his, you know, you know what it is. It's Damon's. His attitude Duh. is just like. <sighs> yeah, he's the fact that he's wearing little like reading glasses and looking at paperwork. Yeah. Barely paying attention to her during this whole thing. Paperwork about demons, probably. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was so great. And it, again, like, it, it's a, a fun detail to this world that this is a world wherein characters, like, even though it's not generally known, there's still people in this world who are just like, oh, like, another day with the demons. Yeah. Because I feel like if there were, you know, like, in real life, like, demons or aliens or monsters or something... There would be people whose job it was to deal with that shit, yeah. and it would eventually just be as boring as anybody else's job. Yeah. Like, no matter how crazy your job is. And I love that that is this character. Like, it's a really fun character to have playing off of someone who has some sort of supernatural whatever going on, that he's just like, ugh, well, okay, hang on, let me call the whatever. Like, it's great. Yeah. So, in the next scene, Winona storms into Shorty's. Tosses him the envelope of money that Gus gave her for a flight to Athens and says, I need the best ride in your stable. And he says something about, oh, I got a black beauty with a heck that packs a heck of a kick or whatever. Surprise, it's a motorcycle, not a horse. Of course it is. So we see her roaming through town, heading out on the highway out of town to go to uh, the old homestead. So as she rides up, she sees Waverly is strung up on a noose from that weird uh, gateway the, thing. Arc that, yeah, that I couldn't think of a name for. Waverly is just barely standing, kind of tiptoes on a stool. So she's not actually been hanged yet, but she is not safe by any stretch. And they have a great little moment here of the kind of sister sparring. Yeah. Said something about like, Guess you missed your bus. Hey, don't get hung up on that. And she goes, oh, seriously? I care. It wasn't yeah. hung up. But it was like, Winona punning, makes some kind punning, of... Don't get all choked up. Yeah, or something yeah. like that. And Waverly goes, oh, seriously? <laughs> it's gallows humor. Get it? Uh, good times. Anyway, uh, Malcolm, the scary demon biker guy with the eye patch, he appears, introduces himself, establishes that, yes... White Earp had him hanged for murder in 1866, which adds an interesting wrinkle to the curse because apparently killed, the men that White Earp killed, also extends to people he instructed to be hanged, people yeah. he caught as a lawman. 
Yeah. Interesting. He had him hanged for murder in 1866. He murdered his business partner. Anyway, two more revenants join him, including Carl the scumbag. So that's why he was relatively unfazed by losing his tongue. So then Winona recognizes them, and there's a bit of exposition here that actually was a bit confusing. She says, wait, I know you guys, you're locals. It, it, it just, it seems odd that she recognizes, she goes, wait, you're locals. Like, well, yes? But what does she mean, you're locals? She just mean, I have seen you around town the last couple of days? So. Because the next line is, Malcolm says, yeah, every time the Earp heir turns 27, those of us killed by the last heir are resurrected. Are they implying that Carl and the other biker were in fact killed by her father? But that can't be because they would then only be resurrected when she turned 27, which was at midnight the night before, and Champ interrupts them, calls Carl by name, so he knows Carl. So my, my read on it is that because Willa didn't look 27 in the flashbacks. No, no, she was not. So my read on it is that their father had turned 27. The All the revenants were resurrected. Right. But then their father had not finished, like, hunting them all down. So some of them were still just, like, hanging out in town. Yeah. Waiting for the next person to turn 27 when their ranks would swell again. And they could go after the next heir. That was my read on the mythology of it. Right, but are they implying that Carl was a living person who was killed by her father? Not a revenant, but like a human oh. being that he killed as a lawman. He shot in a I'm, stakeout or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like, that's what was unclear. Because if so, what, has he been hanging around town since then? Yeah, well, that's my. That's what I thought, is that the revenants... You can't hang around a small town like that for... 20 years and not have somebody notice that you're not aging though that's what's weird about it it's uh, yeah again this is we don't have to get right. too bogged down in this but it's stuff that made me go well i guess the rest of the show could clear some of this up but right now it seems unclear right but again it's it's this is like broader mythology stuff that doesn't really have an impact on winona's yeah. arc but also if you have a child before you if you're the heir and right. you have a child before you're 27, does not that pass the heirdom to the child and mean that now you're no longer the heir, so when you're 27, nothing will happen? I don't know, but I do know how we could probably figure this out. Get some string, get some thumbtacks, <laughs> get I'm some newspaper saying, clippings. These are the things that made me go, what? Is this a plot hole or is this just stuff they're going to establish later? Yeah. It's, it's all how, the, how all of the rules work. It's very vague. Anyway, yeah. moving on. They demand the peacemaker. They want Wyatt's gun from her because it's the only thing that can kill them. So if they control it, then they can't be killed, presumably. So she sets it on the motorcycle, tells him, take it. Take the bike, too. The bigger biker walks over to the bike to take it. Malcolm goes, you're the most pathetic heir we've ever had. But the joke's on them. She sets off a bomb in the bike with, like, a detonator in her pocket when did she have time to build a bomb and hide it in the bike and trigger it to a, like a like yeah. a garage door clicker in her pocket? It's all like, that was, I mean, it was a big flashbang, exciting action yeah. moment, but it does not scan for this character to have had the time and presence and know-how. The big biker is presumably knocked out, at least. He can't be killed by the explosion, we know, because only Wyatt's gun can kill him, but he is out of the picture for the rest of the scene. 
Carl, I guess, is also knocked out. Winona then runs toward Malcolm and knocks him out, or knocks him down at least, with a sort of wire food Buffy-style flying kick that seems to surprise her. This is another sign we're getting that she's, she clearly has abilities now that she's still kind of coming to terms with. She grabs Wyatt's gun, points it at Malcolm, who's got his gun on her. It's unclear why he doesn't just shoot her. But he threatens to shoot Waverly instead. And then Winona says, well, here's how crazy I am. Nobody shoots my family but me and points the gun at Waverly. But then we get like a vision of the inside of the barrel of the gun. And we see her move it from Waverly to the rope yeah. above Waverly's head. And we also see there's some kind of like glowing arcane symbols or like magical shit, runes or something on uh-huh. the inside of the gun barrel, uh-huh. which, okay, now Wyatt Earp didn't just like somehow coincidentally stumble into sort of demon curse. His gun, in fact, is enchanted. Anyway, we'll learn more about that later, hopefully. Winona then manages to make a trick shot that severs the rope, freeing Waverly, then ricochets off of like a nearby little like windmill thing that they have on <laughs> ranches in movies. Yeah. And then knocks Malcolm's gun from his hand. His kind of glowy head thing starts to light up and he goes, you are the heir. Because the heirs can make trick shots, apparently. Uh, Winona shoots him between the eyes. The ground explodes into fire and he is dragged down to hell. Very dramatic. Winona then runs to Waverly. But Carl has found Malcolm's gun and is about to shoot. Winona tries to shoot him, but White's gun won't fire. Uh, Suddenly, a shot comes out of nowhere. Carl is knocked down. Now, presumably Carl is not killed. Carl will come back later because, again, not Wyatt's gun. But he's at least down for the count in the moment. Waverly's like, wow, you brought backup? And Ron's like, "Uh, yeah, totally. But also is clearly confused, does not know where that shot came from. But then Dolls rolls up in a big Suburban, gets them into the car, drives them off to safety. Back at Gus's house, Waverly tells Winona that Gus is coming home from the hospital soon. And Winona has decided to stay in town. Dolls arrives, and Winona calls him a big city douche. Yeah. Which I liked. (laughs) But then, Waverly goes, "Ah, great butt, though. And Winona goes, yep. And I'm like, wait, I'm sorry, what? It's like, whoa, okay. Suddenly the show decided they wanted us to see him as a, a romantic interest. Yeah, even like his demeanor is very different in this scene. Because then he shows Winona some paperwork that the government will charge her with murder if she doesn't join the black badges. And when she protests that it's blackmail, he just says that's just a typical shadowy government agency move when they want you to join the team. Which kind of, to me, like, I was like, oh, is that how they got him to join? Like, I want his backstory now, too. She accepts, but clearly she does not like it. She thanks him for his help with Carl, and then he doesn't comment on it either way. He just, just gets up in her face in a really yeah intimidating, almost sexual way. That's kind of creepy. He gets really close to her. And he says that things will go more smoothly if she follows his lead in the future. It's weird because if she had followed his lead, they she would have. What would have happened? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll hang out here with you and look at paperwork, <laughs> and assume my sister's already dead. Like, no, yeah. that clearly wasn't the right decision. Actually. Yeah. She clearly did make the right move in this scenario. Before we go to the last scene, I just want to mention, he hands her her badge. And there's a close-up shot of it. Yeah. And the badge has an American flag and a Canadian flag on it. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I went, oh, okay, because there was an earlier scene where he mentioned he was a U.S. Marshal, and she goes, you don't have any jurisdiction here. And he says, it's a special cross-border task force. And I kind of just 
there was other stuff happening in the scene right. and I didn't really think about it. In this moment, I went, oh, okay, cross-border. Wait a minute. Are they in Canada? Did Wyatt Earp live in Canada? Is this a Wild West show set in Canada? What? Where is, what is going on? And I immediately realized I have no concept of where the show is set. I mean, it's filmed in Canada. It's filmed in Canada. Yeah. That is clear. Yeah. I didn't think they were going to just outright set it in Canada, but like somewhere right along the border. But which the borders maybe were a little bit different then. I don't know how wibbly wobbly right. that border has been over the years, to right. be honest. But I'm trying. Okay, what state? In what state would that make sense for there to be Wild West stuff, but just on the other side of the the border? I mean, like Northern Mo Montana. Northern Montana. I mean, the plains go all the way up, like into Alberta. And yeah, so. I know, but it's just still like, but Wider famously lived in Arizona. That's where Tombstone was. Right. Did he? Where else did he live? And then I paused the show and looked up the Wider Wikipedia page and found out. Oh, oh, got it. Nothing in this show is accurate except that Wyderp existed. Right. Wyderp had not a single child. Did you know that? <laughs> there you go. So he also, as far as I could tell, never lived anywhere but the South. He like yeah. he lived in Arizona. He moved around a little bit and eventually settled in California and then lived there until he died. He never lived anywhere near Canada. I hope it becomes a plot point that they're just yeah. over the border because... If it's not a plot point, it's very weird that they decided to establish they're actually in Canada. Right. Moving on to the final scene, a little bit of a, this is like a, like a, a you know, Marvel post-credit scene almost. Yeah. Our mysterious guy who is Doc Holliday is sitting outside like an RV in some sort of camp. He's approached by a biker. They have a very cryptic conversation. Uh, the biker says, so he's actually letting you stay here? And Doc says, looks that way. And then he says, you'd be happier in town with your own kind. Doc says, I reckon I'm the only one of my kind. It's all very, like, we don't really actually learn anything yeah. from this conversation. The biker then is, suggests, they're saying you're the one who shot Carl, providing cover for the air. And he goes, what air? The only thing Winona is is a disgrace to the earth name. So we learn, okay, it must have been him, but he's trying to put on a show of not helping her for some reason. And also he wants to hang out with the bikers for some reason. Then Holiday sort of gestures to, there's clearly like a party going on mm -hmm. in, in this camping area, trailer park thing. And he says, I wouldn't want to miss the reunion. And the biker says, it's not a reunion. It's a war party. <laughs> we then see the camp is full of dozens of, of demon bikers, drinking, partying, eyes glowing, foreheads, fiery, symbol yep. stuff. Girls in leather miniskirts dancing by fires in, in oil drums. I mean, it's it's a big demon biker party. <laughs> and credits. Let's move right on to a segment we like to call... In this show, I'm going to say, I think they spent whatever budget they had, I think they actually spread it evenly. They The effects were not amazing, but they were good for the type of show that it is. The fiery demon eyes and the gravelly demon voice and the glowy forehead thing, none of it looked 
overtly CGI. It fit the, yeah. the style of the show. The the only really over the top moment was when Malcolm gets like dragged down to hell, and I did kind of enjoy that. He didn't just fall to the ground and turn to dust. Yeah, <laughs> the ground erupts into fire. I it was over the top, but I was like, hey, when they say back to hell, they they are committing to that premise. Yeah, it was like that shot and blowing up the bike were like the two. Oh, there you go. Like a lot of money. That, we, yeah, that like the bike explosion, which that's a lot of money to spend on something that plot wise makes zero sense, but. But it was an awesome moment. Like, in it, it just distracted me too yeah. much because I'm like, when did she? Where a bomb? How? Yeah. I mean, maybe they come standard on all the bikes you rent from Shorties. Yeah, <laughs> they all come. And uh, all right, here's the bike. Here's the keys. A helmet. Oh, and here's a little clicky thing to set off the bomb in it. It's, uh, <laughs> you find yourself in a sticky situation. Have fun. And you want to blow up my bike? Please sign here. You will here. not get and your deposit here. back if you blow up the bike. I, when she rides out of town, I was like, oh, sweet, this is going to be part of the show from now on. Of her riding around, and, oh, never mind, nope, that's gone. Yeah, I think that we nailed it. That's the only thing that seemed like yeah. two things that were made, like an overt money drop. Otherwise, like, yeah, I think they spent their money wisely. It was kind of spread out pretty yes. well. So let's move on to... I'm sorry, listeners. I would like to acknowledge that I am trash. And even though I know the show wants me to... I ship Winona and Doc Holliday. I, I can't help it. I can't justify it and I can't explain it. I just do. I even tried to think of like, how would that even happen? How would that happen in a way that would be satisfying in yeah. a narrative sense? I hope they get there because I can't imagine a way to make an immortal, your great-great-grandfather's immortal best friend seem like a viable romantic option. But the actor looks like Ethan Hawke. Like, yeah. young, sexy Ethan Hawke, but less pretty than Ethan Hawke was, a little more grizzled, and I'm just like, mm, I like it. I think what it will really, like, how I feel about that will really come down to, like, has he lived all of the intervening, like, hundred and change years? Mm, or yeah. was he, like, in some sort of stasis? So, like, functionally, he's more like, you know... 36. 36, 36. is how old Doc Holliday was when he died. I looked it up on Wikipedia. Right. So is he, like, still more functionally, like... That age. That age, but yeah. Yeah, it's not established. We don't know if he was crawling out of that well because that's where he was existing, or if he crawled out of that well because he was also looking for the gun. Yeah. But how would he know the gun had been there? Right. Because she... What don't establish is that when she was a child, after shooting her father, she panicked and threw the gun in the well. Right. So there's no reason for Doc Holliday to know the gun was there. Unless he has some sort of supernatural... Like juju that like, but then you, presumably the he would follow where the gun actually was, not where it had been. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, we we know that's that's what I'm saying. We know nothing about him. We don't know if he has recently right. come back. How his clothes also still are. The demons have clearly just been living on this earth. They know how to use cell phones. Right. They have modern clothes. Like some of them have been hanging out for a while. Yeah. In the town. Or near the town. It's not... Their biker gang, like, party zone is not... We don't know how close it is or, like, Yeah. Whatever. They do establish in the show that the demons cannot leave Purgatory. Right. So they've just been hanging out there that whole time. Somehow. If they're immortal, though, maybe they don't need to eat, so maybe it is a lot easier for them to just, like... Kick it? Yeah. They just ride around on their motorcycles in the desert and just yeah. whoop it up? Yeah, it is unclear, because they say... You know, it's not that every time the air turns 27, all of the demons are awoken, which is how 
they kind of made it sound initially. Yeah. It's that every time an heir turns 27, everybody killed by the previous heir is awoken and then stays a revenant until they are killed by the current heir with Wyatt Earp's gun. So they established that 77 people were killed by Wyatt Earp, but we have no way of knowing how many current revenants there are. Right. Because that number has not remained constant because any current, any future heirs could also have killed someone who then came back as a revenant. That's true. And any of the sub subsequent heirs could have also... We don't know. Maybe there was an heir at some point in history who just got shit done and killed a bunch of revenants. So there's really only like a dozen of them left. Because presumably no subsequent heir has ever killed as many people as Wyatt Earp did. Presumably. presumably. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's all very vague. We have no idea how many. They make a big production out of 77 as a number. But the number could be more or far less than that right. at this point. Which for yeah. the show is good. Which, which brings me kind of like as we're wrapping this up into sort of and talking about uh, uh, cliffs and things like this show leaves me with so many questions from this yeah. pilot, but they're all the right kind of questions. They're the, I want to know what happens next. And I want to yeah. know more about how this works kind of questions. Yeah. Not why questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did have a couple of huh questions, but most of my questions were, Ooh, I can't wait to see how they figure that out. Or, Ooh, I can't wait to see how they reveal the answer to this question. Yeah. yeah. I'm more that than the huh questions, but a few. Be a few. Because again, like, I know I keep hammering on this, but like this pilot was such a good example of learning about characters through their behavior and their actions. And their emotions. And the, yeah, like how they react then, to shit than what they say about stuff. Yeah. And how Winona like moved through situations was really compelling to me. Ditto for like the resurrected Doc Holiday. Ditto for Waverly and Gus. It was like I want to see I want to see these characters mix shit up for the next forever. At least at this point. Like I want to see what they do next in a way that like I had absolutely no interest in seeing what detective Sarah. Her name was Sarah. Mm -hmm. Nothing about what I learned about her in the, hour, the first hour that I saw of her in that show was compelling. Whereas like I just want to see what happens when Winona runs into more of her like old high school classmates or something. That's interesting to me. Where do we think this first season is going to go? Because honestly, I had a vague idea that maybe the end of the first season would be she finally kills the last revenant or something. But we have no idea how many of them there are. Mm-hmm. I thought there was going to be a fixed number. I thought it was going to be Wider killed 77 people. Every time the heir is reborn, all of them come back and right. each new heir has to kill all of them again. It happens right. every time an heir turns 27. But also, that would make it seem irresponsible for the Earps to keep having children. At some point, an Earp would have gone, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just going to. I'm adopt. I'm going to wait till I'm 27. Bring them all back. I will kill all of them. If I'm able to kill all of them, then I will just, yeah, adopt. Yeah. No more heirs. Yeah. So we can stop the cycle. But they keep fucking popping kids out and making right. more. Anyway. The, but it also. It's more complicated than yeah. that. And it also seems like their understanding of the curse is somewhat fractured too. Yeah. I think that the revenants are going to be like a, like a secondary thing that will either be dealt with like rather quickly or be kind of like a secondary distraction because I don't think there's a whole top secret government black badge thing just for dealing with like the ERP curse. I think there's tons yeah. of other supernatural shit running around. Oh yeah, it it's pretty clear that uh, 
Dolls doesn't actually know very much about the Earp curse, if yes. anything. He just knows there's mysterious shit going on in this area. Because he, when he gets Winona to sign up, he says something about, it is now your job to contain the situation before these demons kill every man, woman, and child in the country. And she goes, they actually can't leave purgatory. And he's like, wait, seriously? And she's like, yeah. And he goes, oh. It's like, immediately, the the significance of the situation just dropped for, for him. him. Like, yeah. oh. I thought we were dealing with, like, potential, effectively, like, zombie outbreak levels of... Yeah, of, of, of demons. Yeah, national security. And he was like, oh. See, this is why we need you. You know things. Yeah, like, yeah. I, it would have been a great moment for that funny moment like that for him to go oh well this just went from defcon 5 to mild inconvenience see this is why we need you winona yeah. you know things we don't we thought this was way more serious and she could be like uh, i think it's rather serious he's like uh, yes 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 but not in a national security way i come kind of, i'm almost sad they didn't have that conversation maybe they'll have something approximating it later but uh yeah it's I, I agree because i was actually going to i have no concept basically i have no thoughts on where that first yeah. season's really gonna go and i wanted to introduce a potential new segment all right i know we're a little I'm, segment crazy I'm, but i love no, segments. I, I, I like segments we've got a new segment and it is called what will this show be not a cute name i admit but we never really know from a pilot what's the day-to-day just slog of the show gonna be like yeah very frequently a pilot is a little more cinematic and and takes a little more time establishing backstory and setting up a universe from five seconds into episode two, a lot of times you're like, oh, okay. This, this is what we're doing every week. This is what we're doing every week. I, with Lost Girl, watching the second episode was very markedly like, oh, okay, we're we're dialing it back scale-wise. With this, yeah, I wanted to kind of establish what is the day-to-day thing going to be? Now, we know that Winona is now a black badge, mm-hmm. so she's going to be getting, like, assignments or something? Because yeah. it was a, it is suggested that there's something else possibly going on in the town. The mm-hmm. three other deaths that uh, Dolls mentioned were those also Revenant related or not? We don't necessarily right. know for sure. And we know she's gonna. I guess we know she's gonna team up with Doc Holliday at some so maybe point. Maybe he gets a black badge. Does he get a badge? Or maybe he's, he's like he's he like was the... a black badge. Oh. And his death at 36 was like a cover up. And he's like been black badging it up this whole time. Yeah. Okay. I I, I kind of I could go for that. I could go for yeah. that if they sold it to me right. I could go for it. I, I thought. Oh, I guess this is gonna become a bit of a procedural X Files style. You know, there's some kind of weird mystery they have to solve each week, and also Revenant stuff happening as well. Uh huh. However, it's a small town. How many mysteries can they have that aren't Revenant related? Like, right. it's a small town with a demon infestation. Do they have other problems? I don't know. How much are the Revenants going to be the focus of the show? And how much are they going to kind of try to put them slightly off? Because with Lost Girl, for example, I definitely thought it was going to be, every episode is going to be about Bo in the courts. And right. instead, she basically becomes a private inde- uh, detective in the first, in the first in normal episode. I sincerely hope that we get a wider world from this show that there's kind of a weird America, sort of like an American gods kind of vibe where it's like, or, or uh, Ash versus evil dead, where there's just this personal weirdness that Winona has always kind of been connected to. But because of that and her ability to survive that, she's sort of qualified to deal with other wider weirdness Mm -hmm. out in the world. 
Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see because now we've got two very big things. Her having a black badge and being a government employee now. She's basically a, a U.S. Marshal now. Uh-huh. And also the curse and the revenants and all that. We've got two things and it's hard to know which one of those is going to be more uh, affecting the day-to-day right. vibe of the show. Anyway. So we shall see. We shall see. And is Dolls going to be there all the time or is he going to be like the boss who drops in on occasion? Is he going to move into town and be on her team or is he just going to come around every so often? Because she says, he hands her the badge. She goes, I want to pick my own team. Weird thing to say. And he goes, you've already got a team. Maybe that's uh, that's Doc Holliday black badging it up mm, already. That would be good. Only oh, time will that, tell. That would, yeah, that would make sense. You've already got a team. And she's like, huh? And he's like, you'll, you'll figure it out. So, Champ is also an operative. <laughs> Champ's undercover. Which is why he's like preternaturally pretty. Yeah. He's like actually some sort of like, he's a Greek god. He's yeah. an Adonis. Oh. Man, that would be ridiculous. Time for our final verdict. Obviously, I, yeah, I, I, I want to watch more of this show. I guess not obviously, but the reason that I stopped from watching the second episode and called Strangely was that I was like, oh, this show's the kind of show we would really enjoy talking about. I also am definitely going to continue on with this show. Oh, yeah, for sure. That absolute wonderful sweet spot of kind of weird, but the characters feel really grounded. At least Winona and Waverly feel grounded and like real people, mm-hmm. which... Like, very real-feeling people fighting very weird stuff is, like, that is catnip for me. Yeah. So, it's a yes from me. I am picking this up for season. Yeah, I'm definitely on board. I definitely have a few little reservations of, like, I'm not completely convinced that I will love it through the season, but I have hopes. And what this show's day-to-day is will strongly influence how long I stick with it. Yeah, for sure. And, as yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those cases where there are shows where... The day-to-day vibe is immediately... The pilot is an example. Is actually an example of, here's what the day-to-day will be of the show. Like, NCIS is a perfect example of that. There yeah. wasn't a lot of world-building to establish with NCIS, so they could launch right into, here's a just slightly heightened version of the kind of case we're going to deal with. Whereas shows like Lost Girl and this, and even to a lesser extent, Charmed, they had some world-building to establish before they could actually get into a normal kind of day-to-day vibe yeah. of, of, of some kind of procedure to do. Exactly. Yeah. We're both sold on Winona Earp. We hope you are too. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. If you have enjoyed listening to the show and would like to tell us so, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter and Instagram at Pilot House Pod. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching for Pilot House Podcast. You can go to pilothousepodcast.com or email us at pilothousepodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support this podcast in a slightly more fiscal way, <laughs> we have a Buy Me a Coffee account. You can go yeah. to buymeacoffee.com slash pilothousepodcast. No, just pilothouse. Just pilot. Just pi- oh, saving time for our listeners. Buymeacoffee.com slash pilothouse. It's just a cute online tip jar. You can buy us a coffee or just, you know, give us some money because... We really love doing this podcast, uh, but it's also a lot of work. Fun fact, I do quite a bit of the back-end editing of this podcast, and the average episode requires 7 to 15 cups of coffee per episode. Oof, so that's, that's a lot of coffee. I know. We really appreciate your uh We would appreciate buyers. it if you would buy some <laughs> for us. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all next time. Which will be... 
Do we want to say what's uh, yeah, yeah. the next Yeah, yeah, we can episode? tell everybody. It's going to be James Cameron's Dark Angel. That's right. All right. Uh, see you next time. Bye! Bye. <laughs> this episode of Pilot House was brought to you by Sarah's Upstairs Neighbors. Sarah's Upstairs Neighbors, when you simply must stomp as loudly as possible everywhere you go.